Good morning, family. Whether you are a regular or joining us for the first time, a warm Hatfield welcome to you. Our mission as a community is to build God's kingdom in hearts and homes and beyond. Today, Pastor Louis shows us how to fulfill this mission by looking at how the Holy Spirit empowered the early church to become bold proclaimers of God's work. They proclaimed Christ to individuals and in crowds, in prisons, homes, and public areas. The same power to proclaim Christ in our context is available to us today. Let's start the service by receiving God's Spirit and proclaiming His good works in worship. Forgiven, singing redemption song. There's a fire that burns inside, a fire that burns inside. Nothing can stop us. We'll be running through the night with a fire that burns inside, a fire that burns inside. We are the free, the free. gonna fade away Cause we are the free and yours is the glory We are the risen Living alive in you And our passion will not die No, our passion Stop us, we'll be running through the night, and our passion will not die, no, our passion will not die. We are the free, the freedom generation, singing a mercy, you are the one who set us all in motion, yours is the glory, there's a fire in our hearts and it burns for you. It's never gonna fade away We are the free And yours is the glory Thank you that you are here with us, manifesting yourself in amazing ways in this season of our lives. We move in this place, move in this space that we 
find ourselves in, Lord. Come and have your way. There's no one like you, Lord. Your presence, let us experience. 
Lord, what an amazing privilege to follow you, to be a follower of Christ. Thank you, Lord, that by your Spirit you empower us, you enable us to be your followers and to share that with others so that they can also become followers. Thank you for your presence with us today in this service and that you are so gracious and kind to us and we thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everybody, it's so good to be with you this morning. I'm excited about today and just being with you. And um, right, right now is the opportunity for us to carry on worshiping the Lord by giving our tithes and offerings. And uh, please get ready and follow the prompts on your screen and give as you feel the Lord has led you and prompted you in your heart and, and according to your obedience to Him. So uh, thank you so much for your giving. Well, today we're carrying on as, as we have been doing with our series, Move with God. And uh, today we're talking about Move to Proclaim. And I'm going to get right, jump into the scripture. And uh, we're going to walk through Acts 3 and 4 today. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to encourage you. I know we put the scriptures on the screen and everything. But um, it would really is best if you can get your own device, your own Bible. And uh, even if you can make a bit of notes, it's, it's great. Um, and just, you know, get ready to read the scripture with me. So go to Acts chapter 3, and I'm going to start right at verse 1, and we're going to read about this amazing event that took place that, that Luke identified as he looked back as an historian as a key moment in the advancing of the gospel and of the establishing of that community of the early church. And uh, we read the story in Acts 3 verse 1. One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. He says one day because that was their habit. Um, they were Christians now, but remember, they were Jewish Christians. They came from a Jewish background. So they still continued in much of their Jewish tradition and would go to the temple. But obviously, they went with the temple knowing that the Messiah had come. And they went uh, to encounter Jesus, to have a time with Jesus in that space. And also probably because there was an element for them of being missional. They were going to go and share the gospel and look for opportunities to tell others about Jesus in the temple. Now it says in verse 2, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate beautiful where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple court. So there was this man later on in the in the chapter we we hear that he was over 40 years old. So he was well known by the community of Jerusalem and the, the temple goers that every day he was placed there by people, friends, family. They carried him from home. He couldn't walk. They put him at the gate beautiful and there he would beg for alms. He would, he would look for somebody to just give him some small change to help him and to, you know, for his livelihood. And um, this was no unusual day. There he was at the gate beautiful. The gate beautiful, uh, we don't exactly know where the gate beautiful was in the temple court, which one was the gate beautiful. But we know that the gates were about 10 to 12 meters in, uh, tall. Um, many of them were gold and silver. The, one of them was bronze plated. Um, they were huge, big gates. Uh, the, the, some of the doors, 20 people had to open the doors to the gates of the temple. They were significant places. And everybody that went to the temple obviously passed through these gates. So it was like a prime spot. He had location, location, location. He was in a prime spot, sitting there, able to beg and uh, asking for people to help him. Now, we must remember that the Jewish people of the time had a high work ethic, and they also had a high value of charity. 
And um, so people that begged generally were people that had no other option. It, 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 was a, it wasn't really socially acceptable to be a beggar in the day because they believed in work ethic and everybody had to work. But there were people, obviously, that couldn't work and they were dependent on the charitability of the Jewish community. And this guy was one of them. And there he was at the temple court like every other day. Then in verse 3 we read, When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. So they were passers-by and he was looking to give them, uh, for them to give him alms. Now it's always interesting to think that probably they've passed him by on many other days. Even when Jesus was there, it's possible that Jesus passed this man by and that because he was there for 40 years, uh, old, more than 40 years old. So he'd been there for many years that he'd been begging in that space. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them attention, his attention, expecting to receive from something from them. Now, I find that fantastic that the scripture tells us here that Peter, along with James, fixed his gaze on him and said. Now, I find this fantastic because how, how many of you know in Gauteng, particularly here where we are, when you get to a traffic light and there's somebody begging at the traffic light, what is the number one rule? You don't look them in the eye, isn't it? I mean, it's sort of the unspoken reality. You don't look them in the eye because the moment you look them in the eye, you're drawn into their world and, and then there's, there's a transaction that becomes possible. And so it's amazing to see how creative people get when they get to a traffic light. And suddenly, you know, the, the makeup needs attention. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about other people. You know, suddenly the makeup needs attention in the mirror. Or suddenly there's something important on the cell phone. Or the radio needs some fiddling. Or, or we're lost in deep thought. We, we, whatever we're doing, we, we just don't want to pay attention to this person. I'm just talking about general behavior. Not saying it's right, but so often that's what we observe. That we avoid eye contact with needy people, people that are begging. But not Peter, not John. Here they come and they gaze upon this man. And not only do they make eye contact with him, they speak to him and say, look at us. They invite him into a moment with them, into a dialogue of sorts with them. They're saying to him, we see you and we want you to see us. There's, there's something here. We, we notice you and we want you to notice us. And this man got excited and he gave them his, their attention because he was expecting that something was good was coming his way. Something was going to happen now. And uh, they, he was excited about that. You know, he thought, wow, they're going to give him some, something today that will make it worth his while to have been there today. Perhaps something that will even tie him, tide him over for a couple of days and that he doesn't have to come tomorrow. And, and just a little bit of extra. And he was, he was setting his expectation on something good that was going going to happen. <clears throat> but I think many of us knows how the story carried on. But before I go further with it, I want, to, I want to just highlight a few other points about this portion of scripture. Here we see a man begging for change. He was sitting in the temple gate begging for change. But not only was he begging for change, small change, he was begging for a change. He was begging for a change of his life. He was actually begging without knowing it possibly, without being on the forefront of his mind. He was begging for his life to change. And that makes me think of so many of us. How we come to times in our lives where, where we are begging for change. We want things to change. Perhaps right now even, you are in 2021 and, and COVID-19 and the restrictions and all the trouble that that has brought. And, and you're in a tough place. You, you're in a corner. You feel like you don't know how to go forward. You don't know how to get a way out. And, and you're saying, I need a change. I need something to change. And I want to say to you, we sometimes come to God at the level of this man. We're just begging for change. But God sees a change that is possible. And so I want to ask you today, are you begging for a change? Are you begging for something to change? Are you begging? Are you in a position where you're saying, Lord, I need something to change in my life? It may be not external. It may be internal. It may be something emotional. It may be some trauma that you've gone through. It may be spiritual that you're saying, I need change. And perhaps you are like this man and you set your expectation rather small. 
But God has more in mind. God has so much more in mind for us. He wants to change our lives fundamentally, really change it. Not just change the outer veneer or the outer layer of our lives, the appearance of our lives, but He wants to change our lives fundamentally. And this is something that's important for us to pick up in this story. That, that Peter and John came and they said to this man, as we, as we will read the rest of the scripture, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. They realized that the biggest thing they can do for this man that will really change his life is not give him some money, not even give him a good deal of money, not give him material sustenance, but it is to introduce him to the name of Jesus, to tell him about Jesus. And we must always remember <clears throat> that the fundamental ultimate change in our lives only comes about when we meet Jesus. No material change in our lives will fundamentally change us. No healing will fundamentally change us. Only when we meet Jesus and we are born again, and as 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, that, or 15.7 says, that no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I've become a new person in Christ. That is only possible because I meet Jesus. Now, so Peter and John don't get caught up in a moment here and, and just practicing mere religion. They're not just doing the religious thing. Because remember now, this guy was sitting in a place where religious people, good people, people that were sincere, devoted people to their faith, would pass him by every day. And many of them would give him alms because it was expected. It was part of their religious duty. It was expected of a Jewish person to give alms to the poor. And many of them would do that. That's why he was sitting there. Because it was a prime spot with a great audience, a target market that was a rich environment for him to get a high yield for his efforts. And many of them every day would pass him by and do the good religious thing of giving this man alms. But Peter and John realized there's more that they can give him than what is the religious thing to do. They can do more for him. They can introduce him to Jesus. And Jesus can change his life, can change his whole being and existence. And that's why they said, silver and gold we don't have. Now, I don't think they, they meant that they would they possibly have given him silver or gold in the past. It's not that they say, we shouldn't give you silver or gold. Or it might not even be that they really didn't have silver and gold. What they're saying is, silver and gold, is got, it, we've got so much more to give you. We've got something far greater than silver and gold to give you. And even in our days, we, we have to remember that as Christians, and we spoke about it last week, it's... The right thing, it's the appropriate thing, it's the necessary thing for us to be people that help the people that are in need. To help people, to be generous to people, to give. But we give not just because we want to, to help the people in their need and give them momentary relief from their need. We give because that's a way of showing people the reality of who Jesus is. That's extending to them who Jesus is. So when I give somebody money, I always do it in the name of Jesus. I don't have to say it to them necessarily, but from my perspective, it's always, I'm giving you this, and I trust that in this, this will help you to recognize how much God loves you and values you. Because ultimately, what I want you to do is to meet Jesus. We can become so caught up in our materialism of today and think that if, the, that if we just give people money, we solve their problems. And it's great. You know, you have radio stations and organizations that help people and they give them money and it's fantastic. And I, I don't have a problem with that, but I, we've always got to remember that just because you give people money doesn't mean you've changed their lives. You may have helped them. You may have put them in a space where, where they can get closer to what is real change. And that brings them uh, the ability to step closer to real change. But real change only comes when I give my heart to Jesus. When I say, Lord, here I am. I am yours. The same with healing. We can pray for somebody and they get healed. And must we do that? Yes, at every opportunity we can. We pray for people to get healed. But again, that prayer for healing is to make them aware of who Jesus is. And when people get healed, it's a sign that points them to Jesus. 
It is not the end all. It's not, I'm healed and now somebody's life's changed and everything's fine. Because this man, such a great example for us. They could have given him money. And if they gave him enough money to not have to come for a month, that's great. But a month later, he'd have to be back. They, they could have prayed for him for healing as they did. And he could have been healed and, you know, still walked straight past Jesus. But this was an event about meeting Jesus. And so they came and they said to him, we've got something so much more. Your expectation is about material relief. But God has a higher expectation for your life. God wants to do something more for you. God wants to change your life. And so it's, it's important to note that there was no money involved in this situation. But the man did get healed. And that set him on a different path for life. But the rest of chapter 3 and 4, when we read it, he's always there in the background. Praising God, testifying to about what Jesus did in his life. He, he didn't just get healed and said, thank you, and off he went. He, he, that was the beginning of his relationship with Jesus, which really fundamentally changed his life. So the disciples practiced more than the religion in that day. Because they, like everybody else that was entering that temple, looking for a time with God, they knew that God was within them. That they were the temples of the Holy Spirit. That they carried the power of God in them. And so, even before getting into the temple, they could already see God's presence manifest. Because they carried the Spirit. So they had more than religion. They had a relationship with God made possible by the Holy Spirit in their, in their lives. They were therefore not afraid to make eye contact with this man. To draw this man into their world. To bring him into a place where they could see change happen in his life. Real change. And they worked with his expectation. But they raised the bar. They, they, they went far beyond. This man didn't have faith. It's amazing. He didn't ask to be healed that day. He didn't have faith for it. But the disciples in that moment knew that God had a greater plan. And they just followed that unctioning of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing event. That event had led to some big things that happened. Now, before I go to the big things, I just want to come back and say, just ask you that question again. Are you begging for change? Is there something in your life right now? I want you to just take a moment and just say, just, is there something that just jumps to your, the forefront of your mind right now where you go, I need that to change in my life. I need change. I want to say to you, the scripture says, far more than we could ever ask or think is what God wants to do for us and is possible for us. Far more. I want to say to you, God doesn't want to just change the peripherals of your life, the outward things. He wants to fundamentally change your life. So that John 10 verse 10 can take place. That he has come, that you may have life and life in abundance. So right now I want to pray with you. I'm not finished with the message, but I want to pray with you at this moment. If there's something in your heart right now that you say, I need change. I'm begging for change. Let's pray together and ask the Lord. Father, you know every person that's with us on this broadcast. You know every person's just where they feel that there's change needed in their lives. They, they're struggling with something. They've, they've been every day been, been applying themselves. They've been looking for change. They've been trying different things. They, they've been hoping for the habit to change or for the addiction to stop or for the, for the provision to come or for the healing, Lord, or for the restoration of a relationship. But they just feel like it's not happening. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus, we ask you, Father, we come to you and we say, Lord, do more than we could even ask or think. And we trust you for that in every one of these situations in Jesus' name. We may think we know what we need, but we know that ultimately you know what we really need. And we put our trust in you. So I pray, Lord, right now for change. Your change in lives and, and according to what people are crying out today. Bring the real change, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. May the Lord just surprise you.
and do for you like with this man. And I mean, his life was not ever the same again after that day. Imagine, he was carried that morning and that afternoon he walked back home. Never to have to walk there again to go big. It meant his life had to change. Suddenly he probably had to learn a skill and had to learn to do something to look after himself. But his life was changed because he met Jesus through this, these, these disciples. Then we carry on reading in verse 6. The events that now unfolded because of this miracle. And this is a big part why this is recorded for us by Luke. Um, then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk, Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit at the sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now, the reality is probably that this man never entered the temple. He could only get as far as the gate. There's some indications that the laws uh, prohibited him to, as, a, as a person that wasn't whole to enter into the temple. So he could never go in and worship. But even if that's not the case, I mean, he would sit at the gate every day and, and beg. He never went into the temple. But this day, he went into the temple, right into the place of where God was being worshipped. And he, more than most of the people there, had a reason to jump up and down and to proclaim the praises of God. And people began to notice him because everybody knew him, or most people knew who he was, and suddenly he's walking. They've seen him for years and years and years, every day sitting there lame. Now he's walking. It was an undeniable miracle, a miracle that needed no proof. They all saw it. It was a miracle, and, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. They were like, what is going on? And this caused quite a stir. While the man held on Peter, onto Peter and John, I'm reading from verse 11. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. That was a sort of a big public space, open area. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us if, as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. This is Peter's second sermon. This is the second time that Peter now, this man that disowned Jesus, not too long before that, this man that was too timid to say that he knew Jesus, now stands up. And he proclaims and he challenges that crowd. He says, this is you, you, not them as individuals, but you as a community, you as a people, you crucified Jesus. You killed the author of life. But we want you to know that that author of life that you think you killed, he rose again. He's alive and he is working in us and through us. And this miracle that took place is not us that did it. It's not by our hands. It's not us that carry the power or have the power, but it is Jesus Christ, the risen one, who healed this man. He is alive. You thought you killed him, but you just helped him to move on to his, his highest place of authority. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this man is a testimony, like we are, of the resurrection life. God is alive. Jesus is alive, as you can all see. And he challenges them. Eh? He gets right in their face. But obviously, when you do that, in a place like the temple court, the very people that put Jesus to death is just close by. The very people that thought they had a problem and they dealt with it are now starting to see, but hey man, the problem that we thought we, we put to bed is, is still alive, is still here among us. And, and those very same people now get riled up and they're concerned. And we read about that in verse 1 of chapter 4. 
the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put him in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Remember previously, Luke said to us the church grew to 3,000 at the day of Pentecost. Now, because of this event, there's another, like a step, huge step taken. And, and the, it's 5,000. Remember those days, and that's, Luke was in that context, so that's how he had to record it. It was, they counted the men. So this was 5,000 men. So, I mean, that's, you know, you can more than double that for the amount of people that were actually now becoming believers in Christ, Christians. But suddenly this forward momentum happened because... Again, because of the manifestation of God's power, the signs, the wonders, and the proclamation of the word. Those two are always close together. We saw it in Acts 2 at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here we see it again. There's a move of God. There's an activity of God that is visible, manifested. A miracle takes place. A sign and a wonder. And then there's the proclamation, the explanation, the putting forth of the truth. And we need in our days, and I want to tell you, I pray for, for us to be bold in both trusting God for the miraculous, the signs and wonders, and in the proclamation of the word. It's never either or. We need both. We need people, young people, older people. But I particularly pray for our young people to become to lovers of the word, lovers of what the truth is in God, and to begin to boldly proclaim it. Not merely on stages and church meetings and, and prayer spots, but in, in, their, in, in our society. Our young people are faced with such, we are all faced with such tremendous false, falsehoods of the world. We need bold proclaimers. Proclaimers to stand up and say, but this Christ who you think is not relevant, that you think is dead, this Christ is alive. And we can testify to that. We can show you the difference in our lives. And, and this is what happened. And so an explosion again happened of people that followed Christ. In verse 18 to 20, I jumped down a bit. Then they called them in again and, and commanded them not to speak or teach all in the name of Jesus. So they, they, what happened was they took John and Peter aside and they said, to, you know, they, John and Peter again explained to them and they had an interaction. And then they went and thought about it. And then they came back and they said to them um, that not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Remember, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. So this was a huge problem for them. If Peter and John is saying that Jesus is alive, he rose from the dead, and it's by his power that this man is healed, that debunked their whole theology. That, that removed all power from them. That, that just really was a huge challenge for them. So they say to them, stop it. You cannot continue to proclaim this. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? Who has the highest authority? Who is the one that's worthy of our total obedience? You or Christ, the creator of life? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They're saying, man, we've seen stuff. We've heard stuff. We're not just talking theoretically about something. We're not just telling you something that we believe. We're telling you something that is real, that we have experienced, that we have touched, we have tasted, we have seen the goodness of the Lord. We have seen the power of God. We continue to see the power of God. It, we're not just talking about yesterday. We talk about today. You saw it now with us. God is real. God was real in their lives. And like them, we are the same. We also say we cannot help but speak about what we have seen and heard. Come on, people. You have a testimony. You have a story. Perhaps you weren't lame and, and, and you know, probably not most of us weren't lame and began to walk. But we have a story. We have a story to tell about who God is and his goodness for us. And listen, I want to tell you, very important for me, that it's fantastic when, when lame people walk. But, you know, you can be lame and be having, be in God's will and walking with God, walking, walking with God, experiencing God, living in God and having the kingdom of God come in your life. It, your life doesn't just become whole once you're physically healed or your material needs are met. Then you've entered the kingdom. No, you enter the kingdom when you meet Jesus. I know sometimes I've heard and had conversations with people that are, that for instance, are physically ill, like people in wheelchairs. And sometimes they're scared to come to church 
Because when they come to church, they become the target for every person to pray for them and to see them get healed. And sometimes the subtle message that they're getting in that almost is like, until I'm healed, I, I'm not really part of the community. I'm not really in, a, a, a fully accepted. I'm not really fully part. I, I'm almost like a little bit of a problem because, you know, I, I, I carry the marks of, of the failure of this world. And, and, and I don't, Jesus' power hasn't brought me to healing yet. And people don't quite know what to do with me. Man, I want to tell you, we want to pray for people, but we want to be a mature body that says, listen, your, your, your illness or your need, your, your, your lack that you have, we will not define you by that. But we will love you and you can be fully part of a community. You can be fully part of us. And your, we want to embrace you as you are. And, and we trust God with you for a miracle. And so I think it's often good that, that in, in general cases, that like even Jesus did, what do you want me to do for you? Ask a person like that. If they say, listen, I, I want God to heal me. Then pray for them. But let's not, you know, define people by their need. Because some people's needs are more obvious than others, but we all have needs. I, I can remember an occasion where I was preaching at a church, uh, in an evening service, not one of our churches, and uh, with a friend of mine asked me to come preach at his church. And uh, while I was preaching, uh, a young man in the audience started having an epileptic fit. And um, he had one of those epileptic fits that he, he gets up and he's completely in a daze. He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what's going on. He, he's sort of in a, in a daze, like I say. And he starts moving about and he's making noises. So everybody in the, in the hall that where we were in the church building, you know, their attention gets drawn to him. Now I'm trying to preach and this, you know, suddenly I've lost the crowd. They focused on this young man. And uh, he starts walking around, and, and everybody's now uncomfortable. And I, I saw what I presumed was his mom that was sitting next to him. And obviously, this is difficult for her. And, um, and then he walked, and eventually was on stage with me. He found him. Now, I knew enough about that to know that you don't get into a person's personal space when they're in an attack like that. So all I did is I said to the people, man, let's just uh, you know, pray for him. I think I may have even asked, what's his name? And they told me, and I said, let's pray for him. Just, just, let's just love him in this moment, and let's pray God's peace on him. And we prayed for him, and it took about a minute or two, and then he sort of woke, you know, came to himself and knew what was happening. And then you could see the embarrassment. And, uh, but at that point, I just went to him and said, man, we're so glad you're okay, and you know, just know that you're welcome or something. I can't remember exactly, but I, I just try to affirm in a, in a way. And then he went and sat down and, and, and we just, we, you know, we didn't make it a, a thing. We didn't try and, you know, curse a demon on him or drive a demon out of him or, or anything like that. But just to, in that moment, make him and his mom feel like you're part of us. And I think that's the heart that we have to have. While at the same time being bold and praying for people and, and not just doing the religious things, but when the Spirit of God leads us, but we do it in a way that, that preserves that person's dignity and shows them their value in God even before they're healed or before their need is met. I think that's very important for me. And, and, and pro, I would like you to think about that and how you live that out in your context. Then the last verses that I want to read for you is verse 29 to 31. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. So after they were told by the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees and the, the temple court people that you are not allowed to preach. And they said, look, we're gonna, we can't help but do this. They went back and they said, Lord, you need to help us. We're asking you to up the game. To do more, Lord. We need more signs and wonders. And we need more courage, Lord, to continue to proclaim your name. Because the gospel cannot stop. It needs to move forward. More people need to know who Jesus is. And they were then again filled by the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you that we need to consistently, whatever comes against us, ask the Lord. Give us the boldness to, to proclaim the gospel. So that the gospel can move through our proclamation. Through our praying, through our signs and wonders, and our proclamation. Let's step forward in boldness. And, and it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like I said before, we cannot do the works of Christ without the power of Christ. And that's the Holy Spirit. So let's ask the Lord boldly. But let's be prepared to be filled by the Spirit. 
and to be proclaimers of the word. And you know who did the greatest proclamation in this situation? Probably Peter, but with him was this man. Because every time the Sadducees, if you read chapter 4, please read it. Every time they, they wanted to stand up against Peter and John, somebody would remind them, but there's the man that they prayed for and, and he's healed. Nobody can dispute that. There's a visible sign here. And his testimony gave power to the proclamation of the apostles. Your testimony is powerful. And, and this is what I wanted to say earlier. You may not have a, like an amazing testimony in the sense of, wow, you know, I was, I was healed from some disease. You may have a testimony like that. Awesome. But you may not. You may not have the story of, you know, I was in prison and I was addicted and, and all of this. And then Jesus saved me. You may be like me. I grew up in a Christian home. I met the Lord Jesus when I was nine years old. I always say my greatest sin was that I stole cookies with my mom tried to hide from me and broke a glass and didn't tell her about it. I, I don't have the story, but I can tell you, man, I'm very clear about how my life would have turned out if it wasn't for Jesus. And I want to be bold and tell people that Jesus saved me. I need Jesus. There's not one of us that actually needs Jesus more than another. We all need Jesus. And I'm so thankful for Jesus. Be bold in your proclamation. Tell your story. Tell your story to people. Every opportunity and moment you get, tell them, this is who Jesus is for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. I'm not perfect. And don't be scared to say, look, I haven't gotten this right. But thank you for Jesus, his grace and his mercy, that he walks with me. But we love Jesus. We are moved by the Spirit, by what we have seen and what we have experienced to proclaim who he is. We proclaim by signs and wonders and we proclaim by telling our stories and sharing the truth of the gospel with people. So I'm going to pray with you today and ask that you would just with me be open to the Holy Spirit. That right in our time where there's pressure against us to not tell people about Jesus. And to not tell people about how Jesus wants us to live our lives. That the Lord will give us grace and boldness. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for our time together in your word today. Thank you for these amazing accounts of scripture. And how they stir us and educate us and empower us, Lord. But we come to you, Holy Spirit, the, the author of the scriptures, the, the giver of, of, of the power of God in, in our day today, as Jesus said. And we come to you, Holy Spirit, and we, and we just all open our arms. And can I ask you right there where you're sitting in your, or where you are doing this service with me, it's a great sign if you just open your arms and say, Lord, here I am. I yield to you and I ask you to fill me by your Holy Spirit. Let's ask the Holy Spirit right now. Come fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us with power, with boldness, with courage, so that we can be those that in our time proclaim the truth of the gospel and live the lives that testify of your reality and of your presence. Let's just receive the Holy Spirit right now. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Give us wisdom. Thank you, Jesus. I can see right now, I just sense in my spirit how some of you can imagine those people that you, that you have tried to share with, but it's difficult, or that you're scared of sharing with, or a situation. And let's just pray, Holy Spirit, right now, give us the power and the wisdom that next time we have that opportunity, that we'll be able to make use of it by your Spirit. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We receive you, Holy Spirit. We receive your power. To be your witnesses. To proclaim who you are. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being with me today. May the Lord bless you. May his presence be with you in this week. And please remember the people standing by. That if you want somebody to pray with you about something. Let, just connect with them and they're going to pray with you. Or you can send an email and somebody will get back to you. And if you want to give your life to Jesus. If you've never met Jesus. Your life will change. If you meet Jesus. So won't you tell one of them and they will help you right now with that. So bless you. Great to see you. See you next week again. Bye. Thank you, Pastor Louis, for showing us how the Holy Spirit empowers us to proclaim Jesus in our context. God is a God of all generations, and we're a community on the move to raise and release disciples of all ages. Today, I'll tell you about three discipleship opportunities in our community. 
C4G, our children's ministry, presents short online video clips that creatively teach our children the vital role they play in God's kingdom and how to respond to real-life challenges such as bullying. Tune in every Sunday morning at 9 o'clock via our YouTube channel playlist, Children for God, C4G. Are you a student or a young adult looking for a place to stay? We provide safe and affordable accommodation in a Christian environment, a home away from home, for students and young professionals. Our housing is on our church premises, conveniently located close to several colleges and shopping centers, such as Mainland. Visit our website for more details. Are you or someone you know facing a struggle right now and looking for hope? Perhaps the COVID-19 pandemic and its restrictions have hit you hard. We offer emotional, mental and spiritual support to individuals, couples and families through our online courses and free counseling. Contact our Hope Center by emailing hope at hatfield.co.za or by visiting our Facebook page at Hatfield Hope Center. That's all from me. May the Holy Spirit empower and move you to do the great works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Jesus, the King that free.